light treason news, everyone. Pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of treason. I'm joined today by no one. It's me flying solo. Truthfully, it's been a it's been a journey hosting the show on my own the past couple weeks. I've enjoyed it. I've heard you guys have enjoyed it. It's certainly way easier to schedule. But uh, if you're if you're a fan of the traditional co-host structure, don't worry. Co-hosts will be back on the show soon. I have just been, it's been a whirlwind is what it is. Uh, very busy, doing a bunch of projects on a bunch of shows, and I truly just ran out of time to schedule anybody to come over, especially this early. I'm recording extra early today because I am a busy little bee and just got a bunch of stuff to do. So I was like, let's bang out the episode early, shall we? So in keeping with light trees and news tradition, that of course means there will be breaking news the second I stop recording and I'll be like, God damn it. And then I will have to cover whatever that story is next week. But don't worry, it always gets covered for the most part. And uh, yeah, who is listening to this show for breaking news anyway? If you're doing that, I'm just going to say that's a mistake. Turn on CNN, uh, go to any uh, one of a multitude of websites for breaking news. This show is more of a deep dive into the, the hottest topics of the week, if you will. We'll talk about, will, the royal we. I will talk about pop culture stuff, uh, bad news, but then don't worry, we end every episode of Light Trees and News with good news to send you out with uh, to start your day. So I wanted to start, since we're in like the rec section where we give recommendations and stuff like that, just talking about uh, my artist pages I'm doing right now. So in case you don't know, here in New York City at least, and I'm sure it's, it's the same way in L.A. too, or any sort of like very heavily saturated uh, artistic community, doing the Artist Way Morning Pages by Julia Cameron is sort of like a cliche to the point where if you bring it up with people, at least here in New York, they just automatically roll their eyes. Not because it's necessarily bad to do or anything like that. It's just that's how often people do it. That it's like, yeah, 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 you're doing the artist pages. Sure, sure, sure. Welcome to this phase of your life as an artist. So I had heard about it for so many years and I was like, mm, this seems weird, uh, borderline culty. I'm not going to do it. And then I was like, you know what? It's a journal. I'll just do it for 120 days, whatever it is. Uh, there's like a contract you fill out in the, <laughs> the beginning. It's very weird. It's a, it's a contract for you. So of course it has no like legal weight or anything like that. That would be a trip if you didn't do your artist pages and they took you to court. Wow, that would be motivation. But another aspect of the journey with the artist way that I like is that you're supposed to do these weekly artistic outings by yourself. So that means like going to a museum, going to see like an indie film, something art like artistically satisfying that's like good for your soul, quote unquote. Uh, and you can't go with anybody else because that's considered cheating because then you're just like hanging out with friends and you're not really doing a deep dive into your to yourself. 
So I was like, oh, that's cool. And that would be like a cool motivation to like get me out of the house, away from my computer to enjoy New York City culture. Because guys, it's so fucking expensive to live here. Uh, every commute is a nightmare. But the like one of the good things about living here is we have this thriving, eh, not as much as it used to be, but we have an artist community. And we have the best museums in the world and libraries and, you know, access to so many movie theaters. So it's like, why not take advantage of that since I'm spending uh, trillions of dollars to live here? So that aspect of it, I think, is very cool. (laughs) I will say, and I'm talking about this on the show because I want to know if anybody else has done this. I don't know if I'm doing the morning pages right. And I know there's no quote unquote right way to do it, but I'm truly, <laughs> it is just like my journal at this point where I'm like, here's what I'm going to do today. And here are the shows I'm doing. And here's how I felt about the shows I did last night. And I think maybe that's part of it, but I have a lot of, as a former A student and a type A person who has a mild OCD, I want to know if I'm doing it right. So therefore, I want to know how you guys did it, if you did it. So hashtag light trees and pod, if you feel comfortable sharing what you were writing in your morning pages, because I think I'm supposed to be writing more about like my own process with writing. And I do that kind of, but not really. It just ends up me sort of spiraling into anxiety about not being as good as I want to be. And maybe that's part of it, too. And maybe me just asking these questions is, you know, revealing because it's like there's no right way to, to do the artist's way morning pages. And maybe that's just um, me being a cuckoo. So have you done the artist's way? Have you done the morning pages specifically? What were you writing in them? I'm just very curious. So let me know. Hashtag like trees and pod. Now, on to recommendations. I am very, very late to this, but I want to talk about it because I had heard how wild it was from everyone, people I knew, people I didn't know, just seeing comics talking about it, 90 Day Fiance, wow, Uh, so it's on Hulu right now, and which is why I started watching it, and everything I had heard about it did not brace me for how fucking off the walls it is. So if you don't know the premise of 90 Day Fiance, it is exactly what it sounds like. Uh, It is about people who have met other people on like dating apps, but specifically international dating apps. So it's a lot of white men being like, American women don't know how to respect men. So I went on Filipino match.com and found the love of my life. She does not speak English and she's 20. So those are some obstacles we're going to have to overcome together because we're deeply in love, even though she is a just out of childhood and does not speak English. So, and then they fly to the other country. So like Haiti, is one of the countries. Uh, They fly to the Philippines. They fly to, there are women too. So this 45-year-old woman is talking to a 25-year-old gorgeous Swedish man. She flies out to meet him. 
think he's Swedish. I'm sorry if he's not. I'm sorry if I'm fucking up any of these details. And uh, no, she might have flown out to the Netherlands. But anyway, so there are women too. Women do it too. Hashtag women do it too. And they spend 90 days with them um, to see if they ultimately want to get engaged to them. Although I'm a little confused by the title of the series I'm watching because it says before the 90 days. So I'm wondering if this is actually a prelude to them spending 90 days together engaged. Do you know what I mean? Uh, So regardless of the details, they fly out to the country uh, that their significant other lives in and spend time with them to see if it actually the chemistry is real. But it is so patently obvious that, especially the women, and I understand this on a profound level, are using these older men to get to the United States or using them for access to like money or because they, you know, live in countries that are very, very poor. They have big families that they're trying to take care of. So, of course, they're like using these guys for money. And like the one guy just brings suitcases of clothes for his girlfriend to resell in Haiti so she can make money. And I was like, this woman is a genius. Like, how many guys is she doing this with on dating apps? I'm sure she's gorgeous. I'm sure there are tons of men sending her money. And I was like, girl, good for you. Because it's so creepy to see these older men be like, I just want a quiet, submissive wife. If she doesn't speak English, even better. Like, of course, they don't say that overtly, but that is the spirit of what they're doing, right? Um, They're all very young girls, so very submissive, um, very, very respectful and timid, and they're getting off on that for some reason, dot, dot, dot. You guys, there is one couple, and I won't give away too much in case anybody wants to watch it, It is one of the wildest things I've ever seen where he, quote unquote, admits something from his past, then freaks out about it, runs into the woods, and then something happens that almost results in the girl dying, being murdered. And that is all I will say. And it's one of the wildest things I've ever seen happen on TV. I hate this man so much. And she forgave him, and they're still together, at least at this point. I had people tweeting me, oh, man, you are about to be on a wild journey with this couple. You don't even know. And then, sure enough, I could not believe my eyes as it was happening. If you have seen this and you know what I'm talking about, tweet me. Hashtag, like, treason pod. I want to talk about it. I want to talk about Paul. He's such a fucking piece of shit. I hate, hate, hate him. I wish he died in the woods. Um... He's one of the guys who literally is, uh, I don't know, I'm assuming one day fiance, doesn't speak English, so they communicate via an app on his phone. It's just so gross to see, because this girl is so young, she's from such a poor family, and it just makes my skin crawl, because again, she's beautiful, and has her whole life ahead of her, and it makes my skin crawl that she's with this fucking loser. So let me know if you've seen it. it. It is really, really like bottom of the barrel entertainment on TV. And it is the perfect thing to watch if you have a sick day or, you know, it's like raining out and you don't want to go anywhere. 
Um, it is just trash entertainment. And I'm like, nom, 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 nom. I love it. So also, flip side of recommendations, something that's actually good <laughs> that you should watch is season three of Big Mouth is out on Netflix. Um, boy, this show is consistently one of the funniest, smartest shows around right now. They break down the overlap between uh, white nationalism and MRAs in a scene that is probably a minute and a half long. They take a very complex, hard to understand idea like that and just so quickly distill it that it's like, boom, yep, that's what it is. And again, if the show wasn't so sexual, because it is like graphically sexual, like they show genitals and stuff, um, if it wasn't so rated NC-17, I would say every kid should watch this show because they talk about the whole spectrum of human sexuality. Um, and they break down ideas that like the older generation are like, what? Oh, everybody's something these days. <laughs> you know, like how older people are so curmudgeonly about the spectrum of sexuality and gender and pretend like it's so hard to understand when it's like, no, this is just a new idea for you because you grew up in a very different world. They really just explain things in a quick, easy to understand way. And I think it would actually really benefit kids to be taught that way. Um, and yeah, they talk about stuff like MRAs and being radicalized online. And I think it would really benefit kids to watch stuff like that just so they knew what to look out for when they were on like a Reddit sub thread, right? Because they don't teach that in school because teachers don't fucking understand it for the most part. Um, but Big Mouth, you know, clearly they have a bunch of younger writers understand stuff like that and they know how to explain it and translate it. And I really think it would benefit kids to watch the show. Again, if it wasn't so graphically sexual, that might be a little too much for little kids. So I wish there was like a G-rated version of Big Mouth, <laughs> which would not be Big Mouth, right? So also I'm continuing my journey with the Great British Baking Show. It is a struggle to watch it week to week, um, just in terms of, you know, anticipation and the show's so good. It's not like I'm going to lose interest between weeks, but I'm just like, oh, I'm so used to binge watching it. It is really difficult. Prue really blew it for everybody by posting a spoiler. Ugh, Prue. And then I haven't seen this yet, but I'm just uh, excited about it. And I wanted to recommend prior seasons uh, Peaky Blinders, the latest season, is also out on Netflix. Netflix, you should be sending me money because truly I plug for you so much. So the reason I wanted to talk about Peaky Blinders and recommend it overall as a show is because of my own, I'm using the word journey a lot and I blame the artist's way. Uh, my own personal journey with Peaky Blinders went like this. I heard about it for so long. I was like, that just looks like another period piece drama. And no thank you. And then I heard about the cast, which, I mean, truly wild. Uh, obviously, uh, Killian Murphy is in it, but also Tom Hardy, Adrian Brody, uh, Littlefinger from Game of Thrones. I'm spacing on his the actor's real name, but he's in it. And I was like, oh, this is an incredible cast. Uh, and I probably should watch it. So then I would be like, oh, but there's three seasons and oh, that's such a time commitment. But then 
it's a UK show. So every season is like eight episodes. It's really short. So I was like, oh, okay. So that's not as daunting as I thought it was. And then I watched season one and I was like, wow, that was amazing. Really like that show. Even though there's these moments where it's like, you know, uh, the crew rolling out to go beat up another crew. And th- again, this is a period piece drama, like earliest, early 20th century. And some awful like pop rock song kicks in and it's like slow motion fighting. And I was like, this is stupid. And then it goes back to like, again, some of the best drama on television and I'm hooked again. So there are these moments of like eye rolling machismo where it's like, okay, heavy metal music's playing while you punch a bunch of guys badass I guess then it goes back to like Cillian Murphy being one of the greatest actors of his generation and you're like oh my god I'm in a thousand percent yes Peaky Blinders show me more I live for this see season one huge gap between me watching season one and season two pick up season two again and I'm like right that's right one of the best shows on television I'm back in so basically it was this long hard slog through watching a show that I genuinely enjoyed and I I don't know if it was just like the mindset I was in but anyway this is a long-winded way of me saying Peaky Blinders is fucking great and I understand if you had any hesitancy diving into it because I don't know it I feel like it's a hard sell where it's like UK gangsters in the early 20th century like maybe a hard sell to Americans because we are so oversaturated with media about the mob. And actually the American mob is also part of Peaky Blinders. That's Adrian Brody's character. Um, So like, I understand why you would be a little like, oh, yawn, is this going to be boring? And I will just tell you, it is not boring. I will say it is uh, prolifically violent. So if you uh, are squeamish seeing blood or graphic violence or anything like that, do not watch Peaky Blinders. Do watch the Great British Baking Show. Almost no one gets stabbed in it. Uh, someone does get stabbed, though, at one point. And uh, no spoilers, but um, it's Paul Hollywood. He stabbed somebody. So just be braced for that. You won't see it coming. Uh, is all I'll say. So guys, on that note, I'm always curious to hear what you are listening to, watching, reading right now. So again, hashtag light trees and pot is the best way to reach me because I am hopelessly addicted to Twitter. But you can also, if you're not on Twitter because you're a well-adjusted human being, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram. If you're not on any social media, my God, good for you. We also have an email address, <laughs> an email address. What an official way to say that. You can email us at lighttreasonnews at gmail. And um, truthfully, I don't check the email that much, but I do check it occasionally. So if you want to send a message and you don't mind when I see it, you can always email it. As always, I have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Kilkenny. If you're a $5 a month member or higher over there, you get to send questions that we'll answer on Light Trees and News. And that is an ongoing thing. So there's no deadline. Anytime anything pops in your head you want to ask or recommend, you can leave a comment on the question thread over at my Patreon. And we'll read those. And you guys send such good questions and recommendations. We love hearing from you. On that note, that was a lot of recommending stuff, but... 
got to do this section of the show. Let's all hold hands and cry. Here is your bad news. I'm immediately going to cheat with the structure of this show because I realized there was something I wanted to talk about in the pop culture section, but I didn't get a chance to get to it. I think it counts as a bad news story because um, there is a, a white nationalist involved who pretty much got away for a while with committing a horrific act of terrorism because someone else was falsely accused for his crimes. So if you have not seen it, there is a trailer for the movie Richard Jewell out. It's Clint Eastwood's new film that really takes aim at the FBI and the media's role in falsely accusing Richard Jewell of being the 1996 Atlanta Olympics bomber. And uh, it's a really good trailer. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. Um, there's an amazing cast, Paul Walter Hauser, who was in I, Tonya. Um, Kathy Bates, Sam Rockwell, John Hamm, Olivia Wilde, like amazing cast. And the trailer is really well cut, very suspenseful. But if you don't know the story behind the Atlanta bombing or Richard Jewell or the whole media drama, I highly encourage you to uh, go educate yourself because turns out Richard Jewell did not commit that bombing and a series of other uh, attacks across the country against like abortion clinics and um, a, a gay club. And it turns out the person who really did it is uh, a person named Eric Rudolph, who is a white Christian terrorist. Um, and... So, like, the whole history of it is fascinating. It's a really sad story. I mean, Richard Jewell, he thankfully lived long enough for um, a series of lawsuits to go through court, and he was proven innocent, um, and he uh, they settled a lot of the lawsuits out of court, but ultimately, like, CNN uh, and other outlets did have to pay him a monetary sum because they really set him up to be the fall guy. And the FBI did as well. Um, and he was a hero. He he saved, he was the one who found the bomb. He got a lot of people out of the way. Sadly, um, Alice Hawthorne did die. But uh, how many more people would have died had Richard Jewell not been there, had he not seen the bomb, had he not started the evacuation process? So it's a, it's a really tragic tale of a hero being portrayed as a villain. And also the real villain getting away with it for a while because the FBI was so convinced it was Richard Jewell. So do go watch the trailer. Do go read about Eric Rudolph and uh, the Christian identity movement, which is an even more radical sect of Christianity where there's you know a lot of uh, racism and <clears throat> violent misogyny and all of that stuff. Sorry, my voice just broke like a frightened 12-year-old boy. I don't know what that's about. I just get so excited about cinema. <laughs> so, all right, we're in the bad news section, game face. Come on, Allison. So I wanted to talk about this wild scene in court with Amber uh, 
Geiger? Is that how you say her name? Guir? I don't know. Who cares? The woman in Dallas who murdered her neighbor. So Amber uh, is a police officer, former police officer, who was recently sentenced to a decade in prison uh, because she murdered her unarmed black neighbor because she walked into his apartment thinking it was her own. Okay, so don't know how you do that, Amber. And went to the entirely wrong floor, (laughs) walked into his apartment, and shot and killed him because she apparently didn't recognize that it wasn't her own apartment and murdered um, an innocent man. So, of course, everybody was watching this case case really uh, closely. I should mention, too, uh, Botham Jean was uh, her neighbor. He was 26 years old inside his own apartment and so of course this case blew up because it was just such an egregious act right you have a white police officer uh who walks into a black man's home and murders him and of course people were really afraid that even though this was as egregious as you can get right someone minding their own business in their own home being murdered uh, it was like as bad as it can get, right? People were still convinced that because she is a white lady, a white bl- blonde white lady, the best kind of white lady, right? She's a police officer, so people were really afraid that she would get off without jail time. So turns out she is going to serve 10 years in prison, which again, people have murdered and um, been sentenced to life in prison. So even though she's going to lose a decade of her freedom, people were still sort of like rolling their eyes like, and of course, she still gets to get out of jail eventually because she was able to convince the judge in this case that, you know, uh, it wasn't like premeditated. And it was an ac- It was a tragic accident is what she was saying. Which again, I, Amber, I don't know how you go to the wrong floor, let alone not recognize your own apartment when you walk in. And you must have dr- drawn that gun real quick and shot him so fast because you saw a black man and you were just like, well, I have to murder you. Okay. So she gets sentenced and a lot of people were really focused on the fact that Botham's brother was there and said that if Botham was alive, he would want him to forgive Amber and just basically show mercy. So there was this really dramatic scene where Botham's brother hugged Amber and like forgave her. And a lot of people were very angry about this because, and I really want to like stay in my lane when I talk about this stuff and not speak for anyone or anything like that. But this seemed to be the general consensus on social media, which is that white people are, constantly committing horrific acts against black people in this country and black people are just expected to take it and then immediately forgive uh because whatever because that that's just traditionally what's expected of black people to take an unimaginable degree of violence and suffering and then to immediately turn around and be like but i forgive you so there was a lot of anger about Botham's brother hugging Amber. And it was anger, it seemed like the anger was like a mixed bag, where it was like anger 
that maybe Botham's brother felt he needed to do that. Um, anger that maybe that hug was being misinterpreted as forgiveness. And maybe it was more an act of Botham's brother being like, I am doing this for myself because I don't want to hold on to this anger my whole life because it will poison and kill me. So I'm going to hug you and just let you go. But that doesn't mean, of course, I forgive you for murdering my brother. (laughs) Um, so like who knows what his motivations were and that's why I really didn't want to talk about that because I'm sort of like look if this poor kid if it like helps him I shouldn't call him a kid if it if this young man if it helps him move on with his life and not allow like fury to infect the rest of his life great if that works for him, if that will help him move forward in life, I'm glad he did that for himself. The part of the story that I just think is off the rails that I wanted to talk about is the fact that I have never seen a murderer get hugged this much in court. So Botham's brother hugs Amber and it's like, okay, kind of weird, but I get it maybe. Then the judge, I need to talk about this judge. She's a Dallas County judge named Tammy Kemp. She hugs Amber and hands her a Bible. And a lot of people understandably were like, what? Because, again, I've never seen a murderer get hugged this much in court and have people be so weepy about it. And then a judge, a county judge, hands her a Bible And, like, wishes her well with, like, the rest of her life. And it was, like, such a bizarre scene. First of all, I was like, can you do that as a judge? Because we're supposed to have this thing called separation of church and state. Which means it's shady to have a judge hand someone that they're sentencing a Bible. And to tell them to read John 3.16 during a four-minute exchange... And she told her, this has been put in front of you for a reason. He has a purpose for you. That's a quote. Um, yeah, and like, so she hugs her and si- says, you haven't done as much as he th- you think you have. What? And you can be forgiven. You did something bad in one moment in time. What you do now matters. So first of all, you haven't done as much as you think you have. She murdered someone. She walked into Botham Jean's apartment and murdered him. So if she thinks she did that, she's right. Um, This whole thing being portrayed as some kind of tragic accident has really been confusing to me because, okay, I wasn't in court. I didn't hear all the details. I don't understand how this woman went to the wrong floor and walked into an apartment that was not her own. Didn't recognize that none of the stuff was her stuff. And then shot and killed somebody. And I understand, like, she must have drawn her weapon real fast and shot him. But even that is suspicious. Like, why would you immediately... This man didn't attack you? Very weird. So my question is, and I truly don't know the answer to this, is this legal for a judge to hand someone they're sentencing a Bible? Because to me, that seems like a pretty clear-cut case of violation of the separation of church and state. Maybe judges are given a certain degree of religious freedom in their courtrooms to express their own faith. But even then, 
that to me seems like crossing the line. If she had said like, I hope he has mercy on you, to me that that's protected probably by the First Amendment because that's just the judge expressing her own faith. But to hand someone a Bible feels like a total violation of that. Even if she knows that Amber is a Christian too, it feels like a bridge too far. But if any of you are experts on this, on the law, hashtag light trees and pod, what's happening? Because I could not believe my eyes when I saw that happening. The fact that Amber was being hugged more than I've ever seen a murderer get hugged in a courtroom because she's a crying blonde lady. And then to be handed a Bible by a judge, I was like, this is wild. I can't believe this is happening. So, of course, also in bad news, even though secretly it's good news, right? Because um, the more Trump gets into trouble, the more I laugh. Um, but I guess it's bad to have the the president of the United States <coughs> texting, um, uh, or I shouldn't say the president texting, but to have text evidence of a quid pro quo between the president of the United States and the president of another country uh, with the president of the United States trying to take down one of his political opponents probably qualifies as bad news. So I'm putting it in the bad news section. Uh, even though the more Trump gets in trouble, the funnier it is. So these newly revealed Trump administration texts that have emerged on Ukraine appear to show a clear quid pro quo. Um, the texts were released Thursday by the chairs of three House committees who wrote in a letter to colleagues that they had grave concerns after speaking with State Department officials as part of the chamber's unfolding impeachment inquiry into Trump's July 25th call with the leader of Ukraine. The three chairs wrote that the shocking texts were only a subset of the full body of materials that had been obtained, the entirety of which they planned to release in the coming days. And I have to say that it certainly feels like this might be different in terms of the multitude of Trump offenses that have occurred since he's been in office. This feels like at least it has momentum and that the momentum is increasing and that things are getting more serious for the Trump administration. Of course, I'm still not optimistic enough to say that this will result in an impeachment, but I don't think it necessarily has to result in a full impeachment for it to irreparably damage this administration and force them into lame duck status. Um, so I think it's enough that people, it might be enough that this process is ongoing for it to really stall the Trump administration. So the text message was largely sent by this guy, Gordon Sondland, the U.S. ambassador to the European Union, and Kurt Volker, who was, until last month, the State Department's special envoy to Ukraine, to uh, Andriy Yermik, a top aide to Ukrainian President Zelensky. In one instance that appears to be an overt quid pro quo, Volker texted Yermak just hours before the two presidents were set to speak. In the message, Volker said the White House would work to, quote-unquote, nail down the date for a visit to Washington, but only on the assumption that President Z convinces Trump he will investigate slash get to the bottom of what happened in 2016. So that's as quid pro quo as you can get, right? Um, you can come here and we'll help you but only if you get to the bottom of the Biden situation. <laughs> that's 
as clearly quid pro quo as you can get, right? So um, it just continues to get worse for the Trump administration. Um, And again, I'm putting it in the bad news section because this is technically a bad thing that the president did. So we should consider it bad news, even though uh, a a resulting impeachment would just be uh, the cherry on the sundae, if you will. And then, of course, it's also bad news that uh, Bernie Sanders had to take a campaign break after his heart procedure. And guys, I just want to (laughs) say, I know, like, politics is as ugly in the United States as it can get right now. But um, if you are not a fan of Bernie Sanders, that's okay. You don't have to be. You know, if you're an Elizabeth Warren fan, if you were a Hillary Clinton fan, okay, that's your right. I I don't think it's okay to, to celebrate an elderly man having heart problems. (laughs) I know we get swept up in the whole campaign season and people get very passionate and there's a lot at stake right now um, and people are really scared. I get that emotions are at a high, but um, it's it's not a good look. You look like a gross person if you are celebrating the fact that Bernie Sanders um, needed to get a heart procedure and is an elderly man. So I wanted to say that, don't be a monster. But then also I wanted to talk about uh, the fact that we are ruled by a class of very elderly, wealthy people. And this is just, I don't want to be ageist, but this is an example of why that might not be a great thing. Um, Because we have this belief in this country that we need to be ruled by older people because older people have more experience. And that is true. But what happened is now we have a Congress that is skewed although less so these days because younger people got elected in in the last House election, which is great, but generally skewed to be much older than the population itself. And that's not necessarily a good thing because then the the interests of younger people aren't represented in Congress. You know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez got a ton of backlash because she's a millennial. She's not that young. I mean, like, she is a young person, but... Millennials are consistently portrayed as being like these punk teenagers and the older side of millennials are in their 30s and they're not represented enough in Congress. Now we have Bernie Sanders who who does represent a lot of things that millennials want, but he's 78. Um, you know, like it's a really stressful thing to be on the campaign trail again, to be running for one of the most stressful jobs in the world. There's a reason that presidents age so much in office. It's a really stressful job, uh, or at least it should be if you're not golfing constantly. Um, you know, it's it's high stakes. It's constant meetings. It's very little sleep. Again, it should be unless you're George W. Bush and you get 12 hours of sleep a night. Uh, it should be a very stressful job because it is a very stressful job if you treat it seriously. So is is that a job we want a 78-year-old to have? I think I think asking those questions is okay and it's not being ageist. And, it, and it's a valid question now, especially that Bernie Sanders has had heart surgery, you know? Uh, I think there's an argument to be made like Elizabeth Warren isn't young, right? But she, by all appearances, seems to be an excellent health like she is spry as fuck as far as we know doesn't have any major health issues so I think it would be ages to look at somebody like Elizabeth Warren and be like she's too old to do it because it's like really because she could probably outrun me in a marathon Bernie Sanders 78 years old just had heart surgery I I don't think it's out of the the realm of acceptability to be like 
should someone in his situation be president? You know, I th- I think that that's within the realm of acceptance to ask. Um, and I like Bernie. I do like Bernie. I like um, almost everything he stands for. I'm, uh, I'd like to see him on a ticket with Warren. I don't think that will ever happen. But, you know, this is somebody who is staying with love, is a fan. I have concerns. And I know, like, if I have concerns, I'm not the only one. I think there's a way to talk about this while being respectful, while not being gross and celebrating somebody having health problems. Um because again, guys, like, let's keep our eye on the ball. Let's not start tearing at each other because that never ends well. Right? Right. Guys, on that news, on the, the, in the spirit of us coming together, here is your good news. Oh boy, so you're sitting in the White House, just um, staring into space, and oh no, you find out the House Oversight Committee issued a subpoena to the White House for documents pertaining to your administration's contacts with Ukraine. Uh Uh-oh, uh-oh, Donald, you better run, better hide. Uh, so, of course, I'm putting the fact that the House subpoenaed the White House for these Ukraine docu- documents. Oh, God, the video is playing so loud. Um, as part of this impeachment inquiry into the good news section, because <laughs> you guys, what a mess this administration is. So the subpoena comes in amid this uh, House impeachment inquiry against Trump in the wake of the intelligence community whistleblower complaint that alleges the president abused his power to pressure Ukrainian leaders for damaging information about his political rival, former VP Joseph Biden. So, and the White House didn't immediately respond to a request for comment. Weird. Uh, yeah. I mean... At this point, I don't understand. I mean, I do understand. But, like, okay, the fact that Mitt Romney came out the other day and was like, this bad. And everyone was like, oh, Mitt, you so wise. It is bad. I feel like if you were a Republican and you were just trying to cover your ass at all at this point, you need to come out and be like, this bad. Because if you don't come out now and say, this bad, you are tying yourself to a sinking anchor, basically. I just mean on a like a cynical political calculation level, why more Republicans aren't coming out to be like, oh, this bad. You can still like say like, I stand by the president. I love all his policies. Build that wall, baby. But also this bad, you know, like because it's so obviously a quid pro, uh, a quid pro quo at this point that if you don't come out and say this bad, Like, that will be used in any political campaign against you in the future until the end of time. So, like, I don't know why Romney is one of the only ones to really agree. I mean, it's early still, I guess, in the timeline of this scandal. But, oh, man, if if I was advising Republicans right now, I'd be like, oh, you got to get out there now. Hold a press conference now. Say you don't approve of this behavior. Uh... 
so that's good news because fucking hilarious. <clears throat> also, I wanted to shout out the Jewish American activists who observed the high holidays with protests against ICE. Fucking awesome. Uh, progressive Jewish people are planning m- multiple protests during the Day of Awe, the 10-day period between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur that is considered the holiest season of the Jewish calendar. Uh, and these actions have various goals, from defending the federal agencies responsible for detaining migrants to pushing for driver's licenses for undocumented people. The common thread for activists is is to use the traditions of themes of the holiday season to spotlight policies that hurt immigrants. In Newark, New Jersey, uh, Jewish activists with the group Never Again Action joined with immigrant advocates on Thursday to protest outside an Immigration and Customs Enforcement office. The action started with blasts from the shofar, a, a musical instrument traditionally used as a spiritual wake-up call during Rosh Hashanah services. At least 250 people gathered in the rain to criticize state Democrats for contracting with ICE to house detainees in county jails. The protesters were also supporting a push to make driver's licenses available to undocumented immigrants. So I just think this is fucking awesome, especially during the holiday for people to come out and protest in solidarity with people who are really on the margins of our society right now and being exploited and being abused and what a beautiful act of solidarity so i wanted to shout out anybody who participated in these actions let me know if you participated in them hashtag electries and pod let me know if you were there uh let me know what you saw how you felt all that stuff uh why you did it we like to hear from you um, so I, I was reading from an article in the Huffington Post by Carol uh, Caravilla. I will, of course, link to that. You can find links for all of the articles I read from uh, on our Lipson page. All the little links are there, and you can click around on it. It is, I believe it is, We Are Light Treason. Oh, boy, what is it? We are uh, lighttreasonnews.lipson.com. I think that's it. If it's not that, just let me know and I'll tweet the actual link. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, also, what a roller coaster this story has been. There's another update. Okay, so do you guys remember a while ago in the good news section, I was like, there's going to be an all female spacewalk. That's really cool. And then I immediately had to be like, they canceled it <laughs> because we can't have anything nice, right? Uh, immediately they had to cancel it because they were like, we don't got lady sized spacesuits. We don't got enough of them. And apparently they're very expensive to make. And it was like, oh, we don't have enough little lady spacesuits, so we can't do the all-female spacewalk. And everybody was like, oh, fucking course. We can't have anything. But then, uh-oh, or should I say cha-ching? That's going to be my uh, good news section sound effect. Me going cha-ching. NASA's first all-female spacewalk is back on, baby, after the cancellation. Uh, so what a roller coaster of emotions, right? Natalie Portman, go away with this ad for this stupid movie, I'm not going to say. So NASA announced Friday that the International Space Station's two women will pair up for a spacewalk later this month. Astronauts Christina uh, Cook and the newly arrived Jessica Mayer will venture out October 21st to plug in new batteries. It will be the fourth of five spacewalks involving battery work. Um, 
So Coke was supposed to go spacewalking with another female crewmate in March, but that's when they had to scrap the plan because, uh-oh, there's not enough lady spacesuits. Um, so for whatever reason, it's back on now. Apparently they, they rummaged in the NASA closet and they found a dusty old lady-sized spacesuit and they were like, it's back on! Tell the women we found a spacesuit that fits them. Little known fact, that's how everybody at NASA talks, like an elderly uh, southern farm worker. It's very weird, but it is a theme I've noticed at uh, during my time at NASA. They can't get rid of me. I'm like a rodent. Uh, so, yay. Also, in good news, uh, this again is from Huffington Post by Teresa Wiltz. Um, state lawmakers across the country are taking up the debate over how to atone for what's being called America's original sin, a.k.a. slavery, and seriously discussing the possibility of reparations, which until very recently, and I think probably still if you polled people, is considered one of the more radical, quote-unquote radical proposals being made by Democrats um, but it is certainly more popular of an idea than it was even a handful of years ago. So this year, Democratic lawmakers in California, New York, and Vermont, states that either outlawed slavery before the Civil War or never allowed it at all, have introduced legislation that would apologize for their state's role in slavery, recognize the lasting negative impact of slavery on current generations of African Americans, and explore monetary reparations, which of course is the most controversial part of uh, the reparations proposals. Because I think at this point, uh, a majority of Americans are like, yeah, let, let's apologize for it because uh, that was bad that we did that, right? That bad. Uh, but when you get into monetary reparations, because people are, most Americans are struggling <laughs> a lot right now. So the issue of money is very sensitive because if people immediately are like, well, fuck you, where's my money? And it's like, oh, Jesus, okay, calm down. Were your ancestors owned by other people? Um, so in April, Democratic lawmakers in Texas introduced a bill urging the passage of a federal reparations bill introduced by U.S. Representative Sheila Jackson Lee, also a Democrat, that same month. Sponsors did not return state line calls for comment, and in September, Florida lawmakers introduced a $10 million reparations bill for the descendants of victims of a specific 1920 racial atrocity, the, uh, the OC massacre. So, meanwhile, Pennsylvania State Representative Chris Robb announced plans to introduce a reparations bill this legislative session that would entitle African Americans in the Keystone State to... Uh, Renumeration. Uh, but first, the, D the Democrat said he organized a team of researchers to identify every law since 1776 that had a racist impact on the state's African American population. So there are these pieces of legislation popping up all over the country. No surprise being introduced by Democrats. <laughs> you know, shocking. Um, but I think it's an encouraging trend. I think it is one that we're going to see happening more and more as the idea of reparations becomes more popular. Um, I think certainly having excellent spokespersons like uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates out there really articulating why reparations is necessary and then also how we can do it 
in a in a fairly efficient, impactful, beneficial way, and why it will ultimately benefit everyone. I think that that's really in previous years not been part of the conversation, but like why this is essential and why it will be helpful for society as a whole because we never recovered from slavery uh, in, in a multitude of ways, but how ultimately what we did to black people, how that was the worst crime we committed as a country, in addition to how we treated, of course, Native Americans, but those original crimes, how they were un they are unforgivable and how we will never fully amend for it, right? But also how it is still damaging the country as a whole. You know, like you should care because millions of people were tortured and murdered, right? Uh, but in, in the, <laughs> the off chance that you're racist and you don't care about any of that, it's also damaging the country. It, it created this division that we never overcame. We never, we just immediately started putting black people in jail after slavery and, and creating ghettos and forcing them into the margins of society and creating generational poverty and tearing families apart by throwing people in jail. And like, we never moved on from slavery. It just took a different shape. And I think more people are understanding that, you know, with like Michelle Alexander's work and, and understanding that sort of slavery to jail connection. But anyways, guys, so as always, if you have noticed any bad news, any good news that you're like, I really feel like they should talk about this on Light Trees and News. Uh, again, there's a whole bunch of ways you can contact us. Twitter, uh, Instagram, Facebook, email the show. Um, and then if you don't have any news items and you're like, I just want to talk about what I'm watching or listening to or reading right now, I think the folks at Light Trees and News would like this book or like this song or musician or, or really like to check out this film I saw or television show. Please send your recommendations. We love hearing from you. As always, if you're a Patreon supporter of mine, patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny, and you're at the $5 a month level or higher, uh, you can send questions that we'll answer on Light Trees and News. Uh, feel free, as always, to direct them to a specific co-host, although, and I say this every time, I can't guarantee when that co-host will be back to answer your question, just because scheduling is very tricky. We're all very busy people. If you haven't heard from a co-host in a while, it's not because we have some kind of uh, a feud or we're fighting. In all likelihood, it's probably because they're real busy, I'm real busy, and we can't make those schedules work. Um, so yes, um, feel free to direct them at, at certain co-hosts and feel free to, oh my God, the music's playing. Ugh. Wow. If you needed a sign from the universe to wrap things up, Allison, it was that. But anyway, uh, as always, thank you so much for listening. Uh, I so appreciate all the support and, um, you know, I know times are tough and people have had to write me and be like, hey, I have to downgrade my support. And listen, don't ever feel bad. I get it. I appreciate any ongoing level of support. Um, you can support my Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. And it all helps. It's all gravy, baby. Uh, have a wonderful rest of your weekend, rest of your week. I will see you next week for your next weekly recap on Light Trees and News. And while you're at it, get out there and cause a little trouble. <laughs>